college basketball fan, you might remember that. It's one of those famous clips uh, uh, of history in, in uh, college basketball. Jim Valvano was the coach of North Carolina State University. He was 37 years old when he won the national championship. And uh, 10 years later, he died of a terminal spinal cancer. So he was just 10 years from death when he won the championship. Toward the end of his life, he was being interviewed. I mean, in the last months of his life, he was being interviewed. And he told the reporter a story about himself as a young coach. He said, I was 23. I just uh, coaching my first uh, small college team. And he said, I was just so intense. Uh, I, was, uh, I was verbally abusive to my players when they were anything less than perfect at, at practice. And uh, he said, all I could think about was winning. And he said, my players asked me, he said, Coach, why is winning so important to you? And he said, because winning defines who you are. He said, you win, therefore you're a winner. You lose, therefore you're a loser. And the kids pushed back on that and they said, Coach, that's not right. That's not right. It's about participation. It's about trying hard. It's about giving your best, doing your very best on the court or on the field, regardless of who wins or who loses. And he didn't, he didn't believe that. He didn't buy that. And even when he won the national championship, the next time they lost a game after that, he felt like a loser. And so he was telling this reporter uh, at the very end of his life, just, uh, just a few weeks before he died, he said, you know, it's taken me all of my life, all of my life, to figure out that what those kids told me was true. He said, I've, I've gone through chemo. I wake up three or four times at night. My T-shirt is drenched with sweat from the chills uh, of, of the treatment. And he said, my teeth are rattling from the chemo. And he said, I wake up three or four times with terror and dreaming about my death over and over again. It fills me with terror. And he said, it's taken me to go through all of this. He said, I know what the score is going to be. I'm going to die. But he said, I have fought this as hard as I know how to fight it. And in fighting it, I have found out that those kids were right. It's not about the score. It's about how hard you try. It took Jim Valvano all of his life to figure out in a little different way, in a more positive way, what it means to be a competitor, what it means to be a man, what it means, how to define yourself outside of the box of W's and L's. Unfortunately, it took him all of his life to figure that out. And it's amazing how the lack of clarity of knowing who we are, especially as believers, the lack of knowing that <clears throat> affects our motivations, it affects our decisions, and it even uh, affects all the things that have been reserved for us as believers. I was, uh, I was trying to figure out how I wanted to present this message and, and and why it was so important. And I was riding uh, toward the house one day and I saw this sign uh, and I believed God was telling me I was on the right path. Let me show you, let's put it up on the screen. Or not. There you go. That's not it. God didn't put that sign up on a church sign. That's our, there you go. That's the one. It's God's opinion of you is the only one that matters. <clears throat> and if you don't walk away with today with anything else, that's really what I want you to remember. Our text today is from Luke chapter 1, and we're going to consider today uh, the very human side of Mary. There's not much written about Mary in all of the scripture, and uh, so we're going to take what little we know and piece together the, a little bit of humanness from her. 
as point and counterpoint to what we're trying to say today. Luke chapter 1, verse 26, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph. It was at the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, Rejoice, favored woman, the Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. <clears throat> First of all, <clears throat> what does it mean to be blessed, to be favored? I mean, the angel shows up and says, rejoice, you're, you're blessed of God, you've been favored by God. What does that even mean, to be, to be blessed or to be favored? And in this same book, uh, 11th chapter of Luke, Jesus answers the question. He says, blessed is he, blessed is he who hears and obeys the word of God. And so Mary was someone who had been taught in the Jewish tradition. She, she, she knew the Old Testament. She was one who had taken the word of God to heart and was doing her best to try to follow the word of God. She was hearing the word. She was obeying the word. She was blessed. She was, uh, she was a, a faithful Jew in her understanding of it. But he shows up and he says, you're blessed and you're favored. So, you know, we use those words in church so often that, it, you know, that kind of lose their power. But so let me ask you a question. So what if an angel showed up uh, to your place uh, tonight and, uh, and said to you, hey, uh, Vince, you are highly favored, brother. You're highly favored. God has highly blessed you. How would you feel? How would that make you feel? Would it make you feel good? God said that to you, that you've been blessed of God. God has favored you. Would that give you an, an extra boost of confidence? That Would that change your outlook for the day if God were to say that about you? Well, <clears throat> I want to talk a moment about really what that means. Uh, Ephesians 1.3 says, Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Now, when you read something that says something like this, he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. When you read something like that, if you can't touch it, if you can't see it, for a lot of people, it just doesn't mean much. It's just, well, okay, I don't, I'm sure it means something, but it means something God don't mean anything to me. And sometimes, you'll, you'll, sometimes we, we, we're so almost, I don't want to say disrespectful, we're, we're so casual with the Word of God that we let things go by us, and they either mean nothing at all. That passage either means nothing at all, that he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ, or it means something incredibly powerful. And I tend to believe that God doesn't waste his words. So I believe there's a whole lot here today, and I want to try to <clears throat> kind of unpack that with you a little bit this morning. And please forgive my voice. Please forgive me. I'm, I'm, I'm trying really hard not to get something, but it's, whatever it is, it's already gotten hold of my voice. And you're going to have to put up with some, some scratchy talking this morning. <clears throat> now, uh, at the last service, about 20 people walked up to me and gave me a cough drop. Now, that was a novel thought. I never thought about using cough drops before. But uh, I've been sucking on cough drops for three days. And four or five people handed me water. So there's nothing more awkward than taking a swig of water while, you know, several hundred people are watching you do it. So the next time I do that, you know, just busy yourself, visit amongst yourself or whatever, and, uh, and I'll try to do that without getting on your nerves. <clears throat> now let me say this, and I want to say this with, with great respect, because many of you have come from, from a, a background, a different background, where you taught something different. But Mary received this blessing, 
And she, the angel says, you're highly favored of God. And, and that has been misinterpreted by some to say that Mary is to be elevated above others and that she's to be worshiped and she's to be prayed to. And there's, there's nowhere in Scripture, not a verse, not a shred, not an insinuation that Mary is someone that's to be worshiped or Mary is someone to be prayed to. There's not a shred of evidence in the Word of God that we're to do that as believers. Mary did receive a unique blessing, but it was because, it was not because of her righteousness. She was a faithful Jew. She knew the Word of God and was obeying it. But she wasn't any more righteous than anybody else. The Bible says all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Mary was part of that, all of us. So why was, why was her blessing unique? What made it special? What made this blessing special? It was special in that God only needed one vessel to birth a son in, and he chose Mary. He didn't choose Mary because she was more righteous. I don't know why he chose Mary. He had to have somebody, and he needed somebody in that vicinity of the world. And so he looked down and he saw a woman who was trying to follow God and trying to follow the law as she understood it. And he said, that's the one I want. So if if that doesn't satisfy your curiosity, we'll just ask God when you see him. That's all I can give you this morning. But her, her blessing was not because she was more righteous than we are. Her blessing was unique because God only needed one woman to give birth to his son. Nobody else can do that except Mary. And so that's why her blessing was unique. Mary needed the same salvation that her son would provide for you and me. You understand that? Mary needed to be saved the way you and I need to be saved. She gave birth to the Son of God, but that did not entitle her to automatic salvation. She had to believe that Jesus was who he said he was, and she had to accept the forgiveness that he was going to offer. So we don't, we don't worship Mary, and we don't pray to Mary, but she did receive that unique blessing as the one and only woman who delivered the Son of God. You guys understand the difference? Yeah? Okay. Acts chapter 10, <clears throat> Peter said this. He said, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. He doesn't play favorites. God doesn't have a favorite. He doesn't like you more than the person sitting next to you. Listen, <clears throat> you see the guy on the street who's on the median with a sign that says, I'm homeless, I'm hungry, you know, please help, God bless you. Whether he's sincere or not, whether he's ripping you off or not, only God can judge him. I don't know. <clears throat> but do you understand that God loves that man just as much as he loves you? That man is just as loved by God as anybody in this room. The homeless people that sometimes you may walk by in downtown Orlando, God loves them just as much as he loves anybody here. God loves lay people as much as he loves ministers. We don't have any special entitlements with God because we're ministers. I wish we did, but, but I can tell you from experience, we don't. We're, the, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. God is no respecter of persons. You and I are just as favored with God as, as Mary was. We are just as favored with God as Billy Graham is. We're just as favored as God as Mother Teresa is. <clears throat> it has nothing to do with performance. That's where everybody gets mixed up. <clears throat> we think that based on our performance, God's going to love us more. I say, I got to do this again. So, you know, put on some makeup or something. Chat. <clears throat> I'm sorry. I'm not even sure it's going to help. <clears throat> God's blessing 
in your life is no different than God's blessing in somebody else's life. He loves you just the same. He didn't make us all and say, you know what? I'm gonna, this one's going to be one of my favorites. This one's going to be one of my favorites. This one over here, I'm not going to have much use for him. Now, I've had days where I felt like God didn't have much use for me. Uh, just, you know what I'm saying? Just a bad day, a bad patch, a bad season you're going through. <clears throat> but that's not the way it worked. God loves us all the same. And so Mary was troubled by what she heard when the angel gave her this greeting. She was confused. She was concerned about a couple of things. Number one, she was a chaste young lady. She was a pure young lady, very important in her family and with her friends. And so the angel just said, you're going to have a child. And she'd never been with a man. She was confused about what are people going to think about me? I, no, who's going to believe this? She was confused about how it was going to affect her relationship with Joseph. Uh, Joseph, I need to talk to you. <clears throat> Why don't we go down to Starbucks, get a cup of coffee, settle down. <clears throat> Got something to share with you. You know, <clears throat> last week an angel showed up in my room and <laughs> he told me I'm pregnant <laughs> by God. And, and Joseph's sitting there sipping his, his, his frappuccino. And he says, oh, really? Well, how nice. That's different. Now, you really believe that's the way he took that? Mary was troubled. She was upset. Nobody was going to believe this woman of what, what had just been told her. And Luke, uh, she was, con Luke, she was con confused. Luke, uh, verse 30, tells us what the problem was. The angel said, don't be afraid. She was afraid. She was afraid of her reputation. She was afraid that Joseph was going to break it off with her. She was afraid of what her parents and her friends were going to say. She was Listen, she was upset. She was confused. And then from that point of view, Mary's no different than you and I. If an angel showed up and told us something like that, we would have acted the same way. We would have reacted the same way. And can I just tell you this? In the last uh, three or four weeks, I, I bet I've talked to at least 20 people in the church who are going through a difficult patch. They're going through a different, difficult time in their life. And, and, and I've heard different snippets of remarks from each one of them. They all sound very similar. So I put them together in a paragraph. And here's, what, here's basically what people have been telling me. I'm trying to do my best. I'm facing the challenges of life the best I can. I'm struggling in my faith. And I don't want to disappoint God. I've heard parts of those remarks over and over and over again. And while that may accurately describe how we feel about our life sometimes, it is nowhere near close to depicting a biblical walk of faith. Most people are so victimized by life. We've had so many losses in life, so many disappointments and so many hurts that we think, first of all, God is displeased with us. He's disappointed because we've let him down so many times. Or he's just mad at us and he's abandoned us because we, we've let him down so much. And, and, and therefore, we just quit believing. We just quit believing that God's going to do anything for us. In fact, we believe it all. Here's what we, here's what we believe. If we believe anything at all, uh, God's going to let me down too. Everybody else has. Why should he be any different? And I, I just want to encourage you, beloved, that, that's, that's kind of a scary place to get in your faith if that's where you are. And I understand how you can get that way when you've lost and you've been hurt and you've been defeated and people have beat you up, life's beat you up. I understand how you feel that way. I felt that way many times in my life. But we need to be careful about interpreting what God says through our circumstances. Your circumstances can be manipulated and controlled by the evil one. 
and has nothing to do with what God says about our situation and about who we are. Our own attitudes about life and our attitudes about our self-worth have a direct effect upon our expectations. And expectations have a direct result on our, on our faith. Hebrews eleven six says this, and without faith, people are talking about disappointing God. Hebrews eleven six, without faith, it's impossible to please God. If you don't want to disappoint God, you've got to have a measure of faith. You don't have to have a lot. You just have to have a measure, and it has to be directed at him. And here's what the rest of the verse says. <clears throat> because anyone who comes to him must believe two things. Number one, that he is. That, that means that he exists. And number two, that he will bless those who seek him. That's what the verse says. If you want to bless God, if you want to please God, you have to believe that God exists and that he will bless you if you diligently seek him. So when it comes to disappointing God, you have to have a faith in him and you have to believe that he is a rewarder of those who are seeking after him. So I want to challenge you, beloved, never to lower your expectations with God. Life can do that to you. It can cause you to lower your expectations. But don't do it. Listen, God... <clears throat> God has never been compromised by sin. God has never experienced defeat. He's never been compromised by the world or the flesh or the devil. And he's just as powerful today as the day he stepped out on nothing and created everything. So don't lower your expectations with God. He is God. That means he can do whatever he wants to. Amen? Despite your circumstances. So let's consider Mary for just a moment. Had she really heard from God, come on out, this the next day. It's the next day. She slept on this now. It's the next day. The sun's come up. Everything seems normal. You know, the angel shows up in the twilight maybe of, of the evening or as she's about to doze off, this angel appears. And, you know, in those twilight moments, you can't really trust your senses, right? So that now she slept, over, she slept on it during the night. The sun's up. She looks out the window. People are going about their, their, their regular duties. Everything seems normal, and as a human, maybe she starts questioning what had happened the night before. Had she really heard from an angel? Did, did an angel actually tell her she was pregnant, even though she's never been with a man? Is that what he said? You know how it is the next day after you slept on it? Did that really happen? You know what? I, it might have been that mutton stew I ate last night. It tasted a little overripe when I ate it. I'll bet it was just, I'll bet it was just that stew we ate. Affected me funny. Did that really happen? Now, come on. If I got up here today and said, listen, I've got a message for you today. An angel came to my room last night and gave me a word to give to you. How, how, how long would you sit there in the pew before we just get out and walk, walk out of here? And say, so that's just nonsense. That's foolishness. And th this is where Mary found herself. Do you believe this was any less believable in her time than it is now? So she's got to deal with the fact that an angel has shown up. And then, and then to make it worse, he gives her this incredible story that she's going to bear a son because God is going to overwhelm her and implant something in her that came from God. Oh, yeah, this is going to be an easy sell to my friends. They're going to go for this. I can see it now. So she was going through all of these doubts, all of, these, all of this confusion, and then on top of that, because there was a census, she and Joseph had to go to their hometown, which was in Bethlehem. Now, by the time they got to Bethlehem, Mary was in her ninth month. She was, why? How do you know that? Because when she got there, she had a baby, right? 
I figured it out. She was in her ninth month when she made this trip. So she had to make this long, cold, it was wintertime, it was cold. Daytime highs in Israel, that time of the year, in the high, upper 30s, low 40s. It's windy that time of the year, and it's very rainy. And the only thing worse than a cold wind blowing on you is a cold, wet wind blowing on you. And that's what she had to experience for that trip from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Come on, God. Could you, could you have planned this a little better? Could we have done this in the spring and summer when it was warmer? I mean, do you really, did you, are you really in charge of this thing? Did you really plan this? Are those human questions? Would a human ask those kind of a questions? Was Mary human? Uh, the Bible doesn't say she asked those things, but she couldn't have been human if some of those things didn't cross her mind. So I just want you to bear with me for a moment. So where was she now that God had spoken to her? She found herself pregnant and still pure outside of marriage, trying to sell a story that nobody was going to believe. She found herself embarrassed by her situation. <clears throat> she, she had to experience a long, very difficult trip from Nazareth to Bethlehem. That's 90 miles. <clears throat> when you're pregnant, they didn't have automobiles back then, guys. I just want to remind you. So everything they did, they either had to walk or ride something. <clears throat> the Conestoga wagons hadn't come into existence yet. So they usually had to ride a mule or a burra. Joseph was a carpenter. He couldn't afford a camel or a horse. Those were very expensive. So she might have walked part of the way. She might have rode on something that was very uncomfortable with no covering from the elements. Um, a healthy man could walk 20 miles a day. A pregnant woman in her ninth month facing, those, facing the elements, probably, probably 10 miles a day was all she could go. This was at least a nine-day trip. In her, in her last term. This was a difficult, painful trip for her. This is where she found herself after God blessed her. Have you ever said that to yourself? You know, when God blesses me, it sure sometimes it doesn't feel that way. Well, I don't know, maybe Mary experienced that too. Maybe that was going through her mind. And now here she is carrying the Son of God in a nasty, filthy stable, which is probably just a cave. And in the, in the cave, in the stable, everybody was there for the census, so there were probably camels in there, donkeys in there, mules in there, might have been some horses, probably some sheep in there. Do you, do you understand what, what the place smelled like? It stunk. It was smelly. It wasn't germ-free. Do you think Mary might have thought Lord, could you have at least provided a clean room for the entrance of your son into the world? Are you guys tracking with me? Do you think this woman was human and ever had a human thought? I don't know. I think she might have thought some of these things. But however, whatever she thought, Mary believed what God had said about her. <clears throat> and the knowledge of what God said about her gave her the strength to overcome all of her adversities. Life sometimes stinks. It just does. And it stunk for Mary both figuratively and literally in that, in that stable that night. So what do you do when life stinks? What do you do when life smells bad and feels even worse? 
Well, first point in our outline is this. Knowing who God says you are is essential to being an overcomer in life's adversities. Mary was able to overcome all of that because she remembered what the angel told her. It didn't matter to her if anybody else believed her or not. She believed God. It took a lot of courage for her to do that. To believe God when maybe nobody else did. God is good when life is good. And God is good when life stinks. And can I tell you this? Especially when life stinks, God is good. I want to encourage you today to look for God in difficult places. When your life is difficult, when things didn't work out the way you planned for them to work out, when you've experienced loss, when you've experienced the death of a vision, when you've lost a loved one, or when you've got a child who's wandered away from God and is breaking your heart, look for God in those places. Look for God in the stables of life. Moses found God in a stable. He was on the backside of the desert herding sheep. Sheep stink. Excuse my French. They're smelly. But right there in that smelly, hot, dusty place, he experienced God. He saw a bush up on a hill burning that wasn't being consumed. And he went up there, and he had an encounter with God. And as a result of that encounter, an entire nation of people were delivered. Jonah had a a stable experience with God. He was running away from God. He got on board a ship. He sailed right into a storm. He was thrown overboard. And a great fish that God had specially prepared swallowed him up. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us this, but there's some things the Bible don't have to tell you. You just ought to know. Inside of that great fish, doesn't matter what kind of fish it was, it was dark. There were no lights in there. No energizer, battery, lights. He didn't have a cell phone. Even if he'd had a candle, it was wet. He couldn't have lit it. And if he had lit it, all the stuff inside of there would have, would have cast. It was dark inside of that fish. Now, I'm going to tell you something else. Great big things that eat, that can eat and swallow big things like a man, <clears throat> also swallow other life. So there were other animal life in there swimming around him, bumping into him, maybe nibbling on him. This was just a real pleasant experience. The next thing I want to tell you is there's just few things in life that stink more than the inside the guts of a fish. It smelled where he was. He was in a smelly situation. He was in a stable. And yet Jonah right there, and and here's the other thing. Bible doesn't tell us this, but I'm just about sure of it. He got seasick. And, and, and listen, if you've ever gotten seasick, there, once it comes on you, you're just done. You, I mean, you, you're going to have it until you get rid of some things. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Once it comes on you, until you get rid of some things, you're going to be seasick. It, it, this was a nasty, smelly, dark, scary, sick place, and that's where he found God. He committed his life to God in, in the belly of that fish, and as a result of that, commitment to God and subjugation to God's will for his life in the belly of that fish, an entire city repented and was saved. So it's in the, it's in the stable experiences of life, beloved. Oftentimes it's where we experience miracles, 
where we'd experience deliverance. It happened with Mary. It happened with Moses. It happened with Jonah. It happened with a lot more. And some of you will be able to say, it's happening with me. It's going to happen with me or it already has happened with me. So look for God in the stables of life. The places where you don't expect him. Mary looked around in that, in that manger that night in, the, in that barnyard. And she remembered what God had said about her, that she was blessed and favored. And then because of that, she, she didn't smell any filth. She didn't, she didn't see a barnyard full of germs that needed to be disinfected. She remembered what God had said about her, and she prepared to receive her miracle, her blessing. And because she was a good Jewish girl, she knew Isaiah. They had to memorize large chunks of Scripture. She knew what Isaiah had said. Isaiah 61 says this. And I need for somebody to bring that. If somebody's back there can bring that out, just stand it right over here for me, please. Listen to this. He's bringing out a a gown, okay? So everybody's over here. What's he doing? He's bringing out a gown. It's a visual aid, all right? When you don't preach well, you need visual aids. Isaiah 61.10. Listen, you need to write this down because it's not in your notes. Isaiah 61.10, Mary knew this verse. I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exult in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness. A robe of righteousness. Mary knew that verse. And so she didn't see a barnyard. She saw the place where God was about to deliver a miracle in her life. The third thing I want you to know today is that God just seems to show up in the stable experiences of life. That's where he just seems to show up. That's just like him. It's the way he operates. He doesn't operate. Listen, you pull up to a stoplight and it just turns green just as you get there and you go, oh, God is good. The the person in the cubicle next to you gets a pink slip and your job is spared. Oh, God is good. (laughs) Was he good for that guy over there or did he favor you? The hurricane is coming to town, and you get to Publix, and guess what? You get the last case of bottled water. Yes, God is good. That's just immature thinking about the goodness of God. God is good all the time, beloved. He's good when life is good, and he's good when life isn't so good. So it just may be that this hardship, this trial, this disappointment, this loss that you're going through right now, whatever it is, will actually herald a miracle of God's power in your life. God just seems to work in strange ways like that. The fourth point in our outline is this. Your hardship doesn't mean that God is displeased with you. It means that God has moved in close to you. Oftentimes when life is bad, we think God has abandoned me. Where is he? I'm guilty. I've done that. We think God doesn't love me because all this stuff is happening to me. What are we doing? We're interpreting God through our circumstances. And we need to interpret our circumstances through the word of God, which is what Mary was doing. She wasn't letting her circumstances and the difficulty she was facing discourage her one little bit. She believed what God said. We declare the word of God 
over our feelings. We do not declare the, our feelings over what's going on in our life. We declare the word of God over our circumstances and over our feelings. This is exactly how Mary was living her life. I want you to listen carefully. Because Mary believed God's word, she was able to deliver the son of God. But it was the word of God that delivered Mary. Because she believed God's word, she was able to deliver the son of God. But it was that word, it was the word of God that she believed in the beginning that allowed her to deliver this son through all of those things that were against her, people not believing her, the hardship of the trip, the awkwardness with Joseph, the smelly barnyard. It was the word that she received of God from the angel that she believed. And that allowed her to deliver the son of God. I want you to declare your identity in Christ and walk in it, just as Mary did. Declare your identity in Christ and walk in it. There's some brochures at the end of the pew, and I'm going to ask you to take one, please, and and pass them down. And the brochure says on the front, it says, this is who God says that I am. So what we're going to do right now as we finish up, We're going to declare the word of God over our lives. And in so doing, we're going to remind the devil, listen, that his accusations against us are false. How do you hear the devil sometimes? And it usually it comes through someone who's very close to you, knows you better than most, usually through a family member, oftentimes through a spouse. Now, don't anybody get mad. I didn't say your spouse was a devil. I said the enemy works through people who are closest to us to hurt us, to say hurtful things to us. And so we're going to declare today to him that all of his accusations against us are false. We're going to agree with the word of God. And listen, the Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord, what? Three people said, say so. Do you guys are, come on, let the redeemed of the Lord, what? Say so. That means there should be some tangible response to the Word of God when it's being declared. All right? So what we're going to do, we're going to read the Word of God. These are God's decrees and declarations of who He says you are. Amen? And so we're going to respond. How do you respond to God? How do you agree with God? Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. You can say amen. You can say hallelujah. You can say praise the Lord, praise God. You can stand to your feet. You can raise your hand. You can stand to your feet and raise your hand. I don't care what you do, but let the redeemed of the Lord say so as we read what God says about who we are in Christ. Amen? Amen? All right, I'm a child of God. I'm a king's kid. I'm justified. That means I've been made right with God. I'm sanctified. That means I have been cleansed and set apart unto God. I am redeemed from the curse of the law. It has no power over me. I am delivered from the powers of darkness. They have no power over me unless I choose to give it back to them. Hallelujah. Somebody needs to say something. I am led by the spirit of God. He is in my heart. He is in my mind. I, I can let him control my thinking and make, help me make my decisions in a godly manner. I am strong in the Lord and the power of his might. I am so tired of hearing Christian people talk about how weak you are. Of course you're weak. This says you are strong in the power of his might. Live in his might. How do you get the might? 
It comes with the cloak of righteousness that he's provided for you. Put on God's cloak. It has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with his provision for you. I'm an overcomer by the blood of the lamb and by the word of my testimony. There is power when I speak my testimony and declare my faith in God. I'm a branch of the true vine and a conduit of Christ's life. His life flows through me according to God. That's who God says I am. I'm a branch of the true vine, a conduit. I'm a friend of Jesus. Hey, listen up. He's the king of the universe and he says, I'm his friend. That's pretty cool. Talk about BFF. I'm a new creature in Christ. You know what that means? That means I'm a new creature. That doesn't mean I'm tweaked. That doesn't mean I'm renovated. That doesn't mean I'm made over. That means I am brand spanking new like I was just born 10 seconds ago. In him, I'm a brand new creature in Christ. And so are you. Agree with God. I am no longer a slave, but a child and an heir. I don't eat what the slaves are eating anymore. I get to eat what the king's kids are eating. I am chosen, holy, and blameless before God. I'm not blameless. You don't know what I've done. It's because you're not walking with the cloak of righteousness on. Put on the cloak. When you put it on, you're blameless before God. I am redeemed. That means purchased. He bought us, forgiven by the grace of Christ. He bought us from the slave block of sin with his blood. He purchased you. He re- you don't belong to yourself anymore. You belong to him. You're bought and paid for with a price. Is anybody in here excited about what Jesus has done for you? I am God's workmanship. I've been created. I've been designed. Listen, I've been hardwired to produce God's works, good works for him, to serve him, to honor him, to glorify him. Some of us go through our whole life. I just don't know what God's will is. I'll tell you what God's will is. Agree with God in who you are and walk in it. I'm a member of Christ's body and a partaker of his promise. I'm a citizen of heaven. I'm so glad I'm a citizen of heaven. I don't belong here. This world isn't my home. If Jesus takes me right now, it is absolutely fine with me. Somebody else can close out the service. I'm ready to go. I don't live here anymore. This is not my home. There's a better place waiting for me. And if you belong to him, there's a better place waiting for you. We sing about it all the time. Why are we singing about it? Because it comes right out of the Word of God. I am not condemned by God. Romans 8, 1, there is therefore no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. I will say, I've been set free from the law of sin and death. I'm accepted by Christ. I don't have to do anything to be accepted by Him. I don't have to earn anything. I don't have to perform. I just show up and He accepts me. How do I know that? That's what the Word of God says. When are we going to agree with the Word of God? I'm called to be a saint. You say, I I can't be a saint. You just don't know what I've done. I don't care what you've done. That's in your strength and in your power. Put on the cloak of righteousness. You're a saint in his eyes. He sees Jesus' righteousness when he looks at you. That's why you can be a saint. Saint Keith. I am set free in Christ. I am blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. These pages are full of blessings. All you got to do is walk in them. 
I am sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. That means he has put a seal on me till the final day of redemption when Jesus shows up in person and I am released from this body of flesh until that day the Holy Spirit's put a seal on me and nothing and nobody can snatch me out of God's hand. I am brought near to God by the blood of Christ. My old self was crucified with Christ. I'm no longer a slave to sin. My body is a temple. My body is a dwelling place of the Holy Spirit who dwells in me. I've become the righteousness of God in Christ. How can you believe that? Put on the cloak of righteousness. The scripture says when you put on his cloak, you have become the righteousness of God. It has nothing to do with what you do. It has everything to do with what he has done. When he said it is finished, that means it was done. You don't get to add anything to it. You could bring nothing to it anyway. I have boldness and confident access to God through faith in Christ. Boldness. Boldness to walk into his presence. Boldness to declare who I am to God. Agreeing with God that God, this is who you say I am. Can be bold in that. My new self is righteous and holy. You say, well, I don't, I don't live righteous and holy every day. Doesn't matter how you perform. All that matters is, have you put on the cloak? Have you put on the cloak? Have you put on, that's called appropriation. Have you appropriated the righteousness of Christ into your life? What does that mean? It means to say it so. Agree with God. The peace of God guards my heart and my mind. Some of you are troubled in your mind. Your mind's troubled all the time about something. You're full of fear and anxiety. And it's in God's presence with the cloak that he's provided for us that he provides peace and calmness into our thought processes and into our minds. Some of you need to appropriate that in your life today. God supplies all my needs. God doesn't supply most of my needs. God doesn't supply nearly all of my needs. God supplies all of my needs in Christ Jesus. Well, but you don't know what's going on in my life. Hey, you know what you've just done? You just interpreted the Word of God through your circumstances. No, 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 no. You interpret your circumstances through the Word of God. I've been raised up with Christ. My life was hidden with Christ in God. God loves me and he's chosen me and I've been chosen of God and I'm holy and I am beloved. You are loved by God. You are loved by God just the way you are. You don't have to clean up. You don't have to do anything. God loves you just the way you are. Look at the last page. Here's the part where you, this gets interactive. This is my declaration to God. Jesus says, blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey it. What have we been doing? We've been reading the word of God to you. These declarations are what God said. This is God's opinion of who you are. All right. Jesus said, you're blessed if you hear it and obey it. So we're going to declare it to be true today so that we can be blessed. Amen. How many of you want to be blessed? How many of you want to be favored? You already are. You don't have to earn it. You put on the cloak. You've already got it. So now we're going to walk in it. Just going to walk in it. <laughs> in order to obey the word of God and be blessed, I must agree with what God says about me. Today, I am confessing my agreement with God that these confessions represent what God has decreed that I am. I will no longer walk in chains of deception by my accuser, but break free of his lies by agreeing with God's word. 
because of, listen, because of Christ's sacrificial death on the cross and offering his blood as payment for the penalty of my sin, I can in the name and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ overcome what the world and the flesh and the devil says about my worthiness. Amen and amen. In the name of Jesus, I reject every accusation against me. I'm cloaked with the righteousness of Christ and therefore I receive and will walk in every blessing that God has reserved for his beloved. I will walk boldly into the throne room of God according to Hebrews 4:16, and I will claim what is rightfully mine according to God's infallible word. Some of you are saying that sounds kind of arrogant to me. That doesn't sound like humility. You know what humility is? Humility is realizing that in your own self, you have nothing to offer God. Boldness means you have put on God's cloak of righteousness and now you can walk into God's presence and say, because of what you provided for me, I want all the stuff you reserved for me. Amen? That's what boldness is. And it's through the sacrifice of Christ that we have access to that boldness. We can walk into the throne room of God and say, I'm agreeing with you. This is what you said I am. And this is what you say I'm entitled to. I want it. Give me it. In the name of Jesus, give me it. Today, I agree with God that I am favored, I am blessed, I am loved, and I am treasured by him. All of these promises in this confession are true according to 2 Corinthians 1.20. What does 2 Corinthians 1.20 say? Here's what it says. All of the promises of God in Christ Jesus are yes. All of the promises of God in Christ Jesus are true. All of these, all of these for you and me are yes, they are true. That's what it says. Aren't you glad? All the things that God has said about you is true. That's what 2 Corinthians 1.20 says. And so I hereby take possession of them and I'm blessed by God. And I'm blessed by God before the day is over. Put your name on there, date it. And whenever a friend, a loved one, or the devil tells you you're not worthy, stick it in their face. When Peter tried to stop Jesus from going to the cross, he just turned around and he gave it right back to him. He said, Satan, get thee behind me. You're lying. You're lying. He will lie to you every chance you, you, he gets. If you believe him, who you got every time, every time an accusation is raised against you as a child of God, you get to decide who you're going to believe. You can believe the accuser of the saints or you can believe the son of God who, who loved you, gave himself for you, and has decreed all of this over you. You get to decide who you want to believe. Jesus said he was a liar from the beginning and the father of all lies. You get to believe a liar or you be, get to believe the world's greatest promise keeper. Who do you want to believe? Who you are. This is what Jesus says, what the word of God says. Let me pray over you. Father, in the name of Jesus, we receive this word. We receive every one of these promises and all and many, many more that weren't included today. We receive them and we want to walk in them in your name because you've given us a cloak of righteousness. You've given us access into the throne room and you've told us we can come in boldly and ask for what you've already set aside for us. Help us to be bold because of your righteousness, not because of anything we've done, 
We come to you in our own humility, but because Jesus has provided a cloak of righteousness, we can come boldly into your presence. It was purchased by his blood, and we thank you for it. And so today, Lord, I'm going to walk in this newfound freedom. I'm not going to let the chains of lies and deception and accusations bind me anymore. I'm going to walk in the freedom of who you say that I am, and I'm going to be blessed. And I want to receive everything from you that you have reserved for me. Everything, everything, everything. I want to receive it all, Lord, not because of my worthiness, but because of yours. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen. Now, let me say one more word. Some of you may be thinking, what in the world are you talking about? I have no idea what any of this means. And if you're here thinking that today, it's because you're probably still outside of the grace of God. You've never received Jesus. You've never accepted him as Lord of life and Lord of your life. You've never accepted him as Savior to forgive you of all your sin. Once you've entered into that relationship with him of being his child, this stuff starts making sense to you. Outside of that kind of relationship, this stuff sounds like nonsense. So if you're here today and you've never entered into that kind of relationship with God before, I'm gonna pray with you. I don't want you to pray out loud, but I want you to pray silently. God can hear your thoughts. And we're gonna ask God to make you the benefactor of all these blessings that we've read with to you today. Father, thank you for allowing me to be here today to hear this word. And I may not fully understand it except that I know I need it. And I want you in my life. And I realize I can't save myself. I'm asking you to do that. Thank you for an incredible sacrifice that I don't really understand on the cross, but you did it for me. And I accept that today for my salvation. Wash me clean, make my heart white as snow before you and help me to have access to all of these wonderful promises that you have claimed that are already ours. Thank you for accepting me as one of your children. I love you. Help me to live the rest of my life finding ways to honor you. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. You can find more sermons and other information at crosslifechurch.com.